You know, I was thinking about today's message as we go through this new sermon series uh, called uh, That We May Know or That You May Know, uh, all from 1 John. I was thinking about my days shortly after I came to come to know Christ. I came to know, I was 16 years of age, and uh, I had been not a bad boy, but I had my moments. And uh, so when I came to Christ, some certain things had to change. My language had to change. It was a little rough. And uh, my heart was slowly but surely being changed by the Lord. But what I noticed very, very quickly was the young men, the boys that had been telling me about Jesus uh, at the, uh, both where I worked at and then went to a camp where I found Christ. And then when I came back uh, in sports uh, where the Christians were also playing, I noticed that they were different, much more different, much uh, of a greater difference than I was in how I acted and responded, Uh, particularly, as I said, uh, I was a little rough around the corners with language, and I, I I could swear a blue streak when I was young. But what I noticed most was they had this spirit above them, this this lightness, this ability to go to school, take exams, go through challenges, and they didn't have the apprehension, they didn't have the challenges that I felt as a young man. Uh, They were truly like lights in the darkness as I watched them. And one thing I thought about when I thought about them is they weren't pretending. What you saw basically is what you got. They loved Jesus, they knew his word, and they wanted to live their lives out in a way that brought glory to God, and so there wasn't any pretending about them. They were truly believers and following God's word. And uh, I said to myself, I want to be like those guys. I want to be like those Young men, and as I give in my heart to Christ, I want to give my whole life to Christ. And so God called me to go to Bible college and ministry and all that stuff, and here I am today, some many years later, 44 years later. It's hard to believe, eh, hon? 44 years later? Glad Kathy and I got married when we were eight, and that's our story, and sticking to it, just, you know, prodigy. That was a no. No, uh, this July I'll be 61, and I'm thrilled with each one of those years that God has allowed me to be in his family and serve him. So with that said, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, and uh, we're continuing on. We're going to be in 1 John for a couple, two and a half months, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't mind if you read it once a week at least, the whole thing. It's not a long epistle, but read it and get to know it because it's so practical for our everyday lives. And I'll read what we looked at last week and then move into what we are looking at today. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may com- be complete. And if you remember last week, I, I informed you that the original language, that's all one sentence in the original Greek. So it's a powerful sentence that he begins with. Today, verse five through seven, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. Full stop for there, just for a second. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray. Father, as we read the scriptures today and particularly focus in on verses five to seven, we recognize that it is possible to pretend to have a pretend faith. It's possible to claim one thing but not actually fully have entered into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So today, uh, our, our desire is that we have a chance to look in our hearts and our lives and say, is it real? Are we really children of God? And uh, Lord, there may be somebody here today who has never yet said, you know, Father, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus and I want him to be my savior. We pray for those people. Maybe they're watching us uh, through the live stream. Maybe they're right in this room. Even if it is one, Father, would your Holy Spirit touch their lives and transform them into your children by the miraculous power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the great apostle John is bringing to us a very powerful message today in these few verses. He says so much in these verses. And he says not only here, but he says it in all of his writings, as we said in the Gospel of John, these three epistles, and the Revelation. I mean, that's a powerful book. If you've not read Revelation, uh, read through it. It's tough, I know, because there's a lot of symbolism there. But it's not too difficult for us to understand if we spend some time in it. But let me tell you this morning, uh, John wants to give us some very practical, pointed truth He is talking today about the relationship uh, that we have with God, Uh, a relationship that he talks about in the gospel and and here, later on particularly, he talks about the relationship of sonship, that we are sons and daughters of God when we come to faith in Christ. In uh, 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 In his gospel, he says in John 1, 12, he says, and I think I may have put the wrong scripture here, but it should be John 1, verse 12. Uh, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? You have to receive and believe in Christ. Receiving him involves opening your heart, surrendering your heart, confessing sin, and then believing 
that Jesus Christ was God become man who died for your sins. And then guess what? You become a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. So the apostle John loves to speak about the relationship that we can have with God. And he begins, first of all, uh, in the Gospels and later on in chapter three, four, or five, talking about sonship from the aspect of, or relationship from the aspect of sonship. And with sonship, we are talking about people who have become spiritually reborn, born into the family of God, and with this experience, a child of God. It's a forever and ever relationship. I love that aspect of it. Has nothing to do with me and all of what he's done, and so therefore, it's a forever and ever. It cannot be broken. Uh, Your being a child of God, once you are a child of God, it cannot be broken. But the key aspect there is, are you truly, really a child of God? And so John uh, talks more about relationships, but there are tests to help determine whether you're not truly a child of God. Today, we're not looking at the relationship from sonship aspect. We're looking at it from a fellowship perspective. Second part of John's discussion here talks about fellowship. Again, sonship is granted to all those who repent and believe in Christ as Savior. But when John speaks about fellowship, he's speaking about the fact that it is possible for Christians to have fellowship with God and be in a relationally favored spot with God, position with God. Sonship is about being securely in the family of God. Fellowship is uh, about uh, being securely in the favor of God. Catch that? It's really important we get that. Uh, To be a child of God uh, means that you're uh, in the family of God, but to be in fellowship with God as a child of God means you're in favor with God. He talks about these two aspects, teaches it so clearly. And so let me just reiterate this. It is impossible for our sonship with God to be broken. Once you're in the family, you're in the family. It is possible, however, the opposite for our fellowship with God to be broken, to be out of favor with God. And we all probably in this room have felt that, have known that at times, right? Where we have not been living our lives in a way that honors God and we feel broken fellowship. The favor of God is not resting upon us. So let's talk about fellowship. What is the foundation for this fellowship? 1 John 1, 5 This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness. Do you ever marvel as I do, as I look around the world and think, what an insignificant spot I am in this great and vast universe. And yet, God loves me. And yet, God pays attention to me. And yet, even more so, he knows everything about me. And I go, that's amazing. Now, maybe you don't think about that very often, but I think we should. 
I think we should. And, and I would think that uh, if, we, if we have that sense of our smallness in the, in the presence of a, a mighty and awesome God, we would go, oh, why does he care about me? Well, you, you just have to go and think about Genesis chapter one where we discover that we were made, are made in the image of God. So why does he love us and care for us? Because we are made in his image. We are his image bearers. And so he cares. He cares about our hearts, he cares about our lives, and he cares about how we bear his image in this dark and awful world. The question that comes out of that is what, what is the condition by which God will engage in fellowship with us in his creation as his image bearers? How is he, how is he gonna engage with us? The answer comes out of this first part here in John 1.5, messages we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. It's really, really important we get this. It's a foundation for our fellowship with God. If you move on through 1 John 3, 4, and 5, you'll see, especially in 4, verse 8, you'll see that it says God is love. And, and that is another foundational truth that we need to understand. The foundation uh, for our sonship is that God is love. He loved us so much that he desired that we become his children. But here we find out that the foundation of our fellowship is that God is light, a huge theological statement. If, if you too quickly pass over it, you'll miss the importance of it. That John is stating so clearly to be a child of God is because God is uh, love. To be in fellowship with God is because God is light. It's a powerful truth about being able to have full and wonderful relationship, fellowship with God. And he talks about it in two perspectives in this little section here. First of all, John looks at fellowship from a positive perspective. John states that God is light. In God's nature, we, in, in the fact that he is light, we see his nature. Uh, let me read some scriptures for you. I'll read them quickly, and you might want to write this, the references down. In Psalm 27, 1, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When you're in the light, you can see things clearly, and when you see the power of God as light in your life, who will you fear except God? And then we go to John 8, 12. John 8, 12 says, uh, Jesus speaking here, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that great to know that if we follow the light, Jesus will never walk in darkness. There will be no possibility of tripping and stumbling because he makes the path very clear. And I love how it talks about, um, Paul talks about Jesus as uh, God dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, you know, no one's seen the face of God. It, it is too bright. It is too, uh, um, it is too awesome. But again, the theme of light. So what is, what is he really trying to say to us when, uh, when uh, John talks about God is light? He's talking first about his glory, the glory of God. You ever notice in your Bible when you look uh, at many passages that speak of God, it, it talks about him in reference to light. Of course, Genesis chapter one, God said, let there be light. 
God himself brought out the light that we were able to see physically and visibly. But then God's presence became a part of the people, his people, the people of Israel. And when he went to their tabernacle, uh, what happened? He was in the Shekinah glory. This is a light of glory that filled the tabernacle. And once again, the theme of light and the presence of God became very real. So uh, God brings the light that we need to live in this world. But also, from an intellectual standpoint, uh, John and the Holy Spirit is talking about uh, the light of God being the knowledge of God. Uh, God knows everything. We know that. His omniscience. Omniscience. God sees everything. You ever think about that? Everything we do, no matter where we are, God sees what we're doing because God is light. He shines the light on our lives and nothing is hidden. And thirdly, most practically, John is saying that the light, when he speaks of God's light, is absolute holiness. And I think of anything, let's get this first and foremost planted in our hearts to know that God who is light is absolutely holy. What does holiness mean? What does the word holy mean? It means to be separate from something. When God says, I am holy, so you be holy, he's saying, I am separate from all that is darkness, evil, and the things that are unrighteous. I want you to be like that, separate from everything that is evil and unrighteous. He is perfectly holy. He's really making a, a character statement about God. He's saying he is completely and definitively pure, absolutely free of anything immoral. He is absolutely righteous. So he says, and in him is no darkness at all. By the way, in the original language, that is a double negative, and so some of you teachers would say, no, 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 don't do a no, double negative. But here he's saying, uh, there's no darkness in him, no, not at all, nothing. It's important. He's stressing here the holiness of God. No imperfection whatsoever, no spots in his character, no blemishes. As James would put it in another way, in James 1:17, he would say, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is holy, was holy, is holy, and will always be holy. And so with all the things we can think about God, we need to think correctly about God's character, especially that he is holy. And how we view God will be the great determiner of how we choose to live our lives. Isn't that true? How we view God will be the great determiner of how we choose to live our lives. If we think God doesn't care about holiness at all, you know, a little, you know, he can do something against his character, then we can do something against that character as well. If, if we don't think that God is, is light and that um, he really isn't watching. It will do things in our lives that we would never want to do because we think maybe God isn't watching. God is light. 
We need to view God as righteous and holy every day, and therefore as his image bearers to seek to live and be like him. And because God is holy, he can't tolerate sin. Isn't this the truth? God, God cannot tolerate sin. Habakkuk says in 1.13, you who are pure eyes, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. He's talking about God. He says you cannot look at evil. He doesn't even want to look at it. Therefore, it's imperative that we walk in the light. If we're going to have fellowship with God, unbroken fellowship, to be in favor with God. Okay, so let's remember. Sonship can't be broken. Fellowship can be. Uh, this couple weeks ago, I guess it is now, our grandson, Devi. Devi broke his arm. Oh, kids, you know. They do the darndest thing, as they say. And uh, I, I didn't make much of it at first. I said, oh, well, that's another one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> broken something. But when... Kathy, I th- no, I think our daughter sent all of us the x-ray. That's what affected me. Saw the x-ray and I saw the, that doesn't look right moment. You know, maybe some of you moms and dads have had that moment. And we looked at it and we went, oh, that doesn't look right. We saw the point of fracture. And with that, I thought, as I was thinking about today, I thought, what's the fracture point of our fellowship with God. What John tells us so clearly, it's like he places an x-ray for us to see. Say, see? Now, you might not think about it much if you don't look, but here's the x-ray. Have a look. And you go, oh, I don't like that at all. And he says in uh, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, it's a big, powerful statement. If is always a big, it's like but, you know, you don't, you don't go and say a lot of things, but here's the same thing. Say a lot of things, but if we say that we have fellowship, a Christian, I, I think you've met some, maybe, I hope not, but I have, who claim that they are walking with God, that they are in fellowship with God. Uh, that's an amazing profession, and I am sure Many of you have made that profession of faith. I do regularly. But what does this profession of faith really mean? It is stating that we share things with God. Fellowship, remember, the Greek word koinonia is a word that talks about a shared life. So therefore, if we say we're in fellowship with God, we're sharing life with God. Secondly, as one who shares, we have things in common. Think about it. We have things in common with God. Well, first of all, we have Jesus and our love for Jesus, and there's so much more. Uh, Stating that we are in fellowship with God is declaring that you have come from the darkness into the light. It's a big statement, isn't it? I was once lost and in darkness, and I met Jesus and trusted Christ, and now I'm in the light. I'm walking in the light. Before Christ came into our lives as followers of Jesus, 
We were under the power of darkness. Now, a lot of people don't understand that, that uh, if you're not a Christian, you're actually a part of the enemy's army. It may be a passive activity, but you are still in darkness being ruled by the, Satan, the ruler of this world. But coming into faith in Christ, we come into the light. And, and like Paul says in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Transfers. We've been taken from one place to another. Darkness to light. How about 1 Peter 2.9? But it, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you recognize that you didn't come of your own volition? God called you from the darkness into the light. That's why our salvation is all of grace through faith and that nothing of our own doing has brought us to that place of being children of God. And if I could hear an amen, I'd love it. Isn't that exciting? It's all of God. That's why you can't lose your salvation. And I know there's a whole group of believers who think you can, but I will fight to the end to say, no, if I can lose it, then I must have gained it somehow. That's the easiest way to state that theology. God brought me from the darkness. His work. So the person who says that they have a real, vital, authentic fellowship with God would say he is walking in the light. And by the way, this term walking in scriptures is really talking about our conduct of life, the manner in which we live our lives. And so... When we are walking in the light, as he's in the light, it's how do you live your life? And it makes life and living it sound a lot more important than just going through day-by-day life, right? Every day is now an important day. Every decision becomes an important decision. All that we are each day should reflect as image bearers the fact that we claim that we're walking in the light. Ephesians 5.8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. It's an emphatic statement. Command, walk as children of light. Well, what else? Uh, what, what, what more can we learn about a f- our fracture point? It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, it, 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 we reveal our personal practices. Too often, it's, uh, our lives are contradictory towards our faith profession. Uh, even Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you thought about that much Jesus saying that? Have you ever said to yourself, could that be me? I have. Because I, I care about eternity so much, I, I keep asking myself, am I pretending at all? Am I living a lie? Or do, have, is my profession of faith real? And every time I come to it, I remember it, I, 
I've lived it out, and I say to myself, yes. But it doesn't hurt to ask. Possession does not always mean, or pardon me, profession does not always mean possession. People say, I am a Christian. Don't put your hands up, but have you met somebody who says, I am a Christian? Well, they think they're a Christian because they were born into a Christian family, or they think they're a Christian because they go to a Christian church. They think they're a Christian because they put money in the offering plate. But they've never come to that place of possessing Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some will do great things in the name of God. People will laud them, but they never knew Jesus. Some will speak great things in the name of God, but they never knew him. Some will be spiritually lost forever because they never had their life in alignment of profession and possession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this is what John is fighting here. John is fighting a group of people who are saying, we have a better way. We know much better. If you just follow us, come with us. And they were actively trying to take members of the churches in that region away from their faith. And they were, they were people who were not walking in the light. And let me just state it. True light and darkness cannot coexist together just not possible. It is impossible to be in fellowship with God who is light and to live a life that is in darkness at the same time. With that in mind, then you put your life up against that and you go, I need to be very careful in what I choose to do, what I choose to look at, how I think. Our practice must measure up to the profession that we've made. Because it ultimately, it culminates in a lie. If we say we have fellowship, verse 6, with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. He isn't mincing words here. This guy is not looking to become Mr. Popular. He's saying if, if you say one thing and you don't do it, you lie and do not practice the truth. And no one here, I'm sure, no one anywhere likes the one who would be called a hypocrite. That's what saying one thing and doing another is, hypocritical. How much more terrible is knowing you are walking and talking as a hypocrite? Pretend Christians are at best a disappointment, but even more, they are a disgrace to the name of Jesus. Why? Because I think when we live a lie, saying we are such and such in Christ, we misrepresent the Lord. Because our lives do not match up to what Christ's life is and what he, he calls us to be. And if it's not just misdirecting uh, or misrepresenting, it's misdirecting. It's like saying we are a lighthouse. Look, come to me. I will tell you all about the good things of God, like these uh, these ones who are leading people away. And, and it's like a lighthouse. You know, what would happen if you moved a lighthouse at one point and put it over here where all the rocks are and the ships are coming in and they, they, they say, look for the lighthouse and this is the safe place where it used to be and now it's over here. Guess what happens? Lots of shipwreck. 
because they're going to get caught up on the rocks. That's like who we are. If we are not living and walking as lights, uh, as representatives of God, then we misdirect. So we have much to learn to be image bearers. Thirdly, lastly, what's the fruit of our fellowship? Okay, if we're in fellowship with God, apart from knowing that forever and ever we are going to be with God in his presence, which is all is enough as is, what's, is there any other fruit that we get out of this fellowship with God? But if we walk in the light, verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think this verse outlines a couple of added blessings to the Christian who's walking in the light. One, we experience the great blessing of simply of being ones who walk with God. Isn't that just nice to know? You can say that, I walk with God. Uh, I am each and every day seeking to have my life in alignment with God, and therefore I'm in this wonderful relationship of fellowship. Living a life of unobstructed fellowship with God requires uh, me to know what is pleasing and not pleasing to God. Why do we read our Bibles? Faithfully, I hope. Because as we read our Bibles, we discover what pleases God and what does not please God. And as we learn what pleases God, we as his image bearers seek to do those things and stay away from those things that do not please God. It is so fortunate, it is so blessed that God has given us his miraculous, full and authoritative, inspired word that we know how to live life life rightly. The writer of Psalm 119, verses 105 and 6, we don't know if it's David, could be Ezra, uh, might even have been Daniel, some would say. I, I personally think it's David. Um, interesting that uh, David used an acrostic of all the letters of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, 22 letters, to write out through all of Psalm 119. And he says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What more do we need to know about saying, I need to be in God's word regularly, faithfully, intelligently, and thoughtfully learning what pleases God and what doesn't please God. And he even goes on to say, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Out of his understanding of God's word as light, he sees it as a place where he will then move out and be righteous himself. So that's the blessing we receive, and that is when we walk with God. Secondly, we experience the great blessing of being washed in the blood. Oh, there's nothing. Would you agree? You've been out working hard all day. Maybe you've been sweating and you're dirty. One of the best things to do is when you come home, turn that shower on nice and warm, and you just let it soak over your body. Maybe hear your spouse or somebody yell at you, you gonna get out of there soon? It's so wonderful to be cleansed from all that day's grime and dirt. 
Here we're told that all Christians have had the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all our sin. What happens at the moment that we receive Christ? We are made clean. We are made whole. We are made righteous. Some would even say, what an awful religion. Talk about blood and cleansing and being washed in the blood of Christ. But scripture is clear. This isn't one verse. It's multiple verses. I picked a few for you. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to be the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who shed his blood and took our place. No other way to find forgiveness and to be able to walk in the light other than through Jesus. But Peter also says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, which this world, by the way, chases after, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When we talk about Christ's blood being shed for us, it is his precious blood. You catch the weight of that. Precious. Also, Paul says in Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, talking to the leaders of churches, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church of Christ, all of us here, all who profess that they are walking in the light because of what Christ has done, was bought by the precious blood of Christ. That should bring to you an understanding of the great blessing of being in fellowship with God. I want to leave you with three, three facts. That's why is it important for us to understand the precious blood of Christ. What this great cost was. What it brought us. First of all, it brought us peace. Because if, if you don't know Christ, you, sh you have this underlying lack of peace. You do not know what happens once you leave this planet, when you close your eyes here finally. But in Christ, you know that if you close your eyes here, you open it to all the glories of the presence of God, being in his presence. He brought us peace. Paul says in Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. When we look at the cross, we've got to immediately think that cross is all about peace. The peace that I can enjoy with my heavenly father because before that cross had any impact in my life, I was an enemy of God. And isn't that the one thing everybody says? What would you like in this world? They always talk about it at all the beauty pageants, I know this. World peace. <laughs> it's funny, I, I know I'm, I have a movie in mind. I'm, I, what is that? Oh, there's a movie with Sandra Bullock. Miss Congeniality. World peace. It's funny, but it's not funny. Because everybody, ultimately, in the 
the bottom, the depths of their heart, the core of who they are. They just want peace for everyone. And if they really think and, and say, if there is a God, I want peace with him. What has the blood of Christ brought us? Peace. But not only peace, we also have purification. Christians, we are pure before God. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God desired not only us for us to be brought into a peaceful relationship with him, but a pure relationship. And in Christ, it is as if God now looks at us through the eyeglasses of Christ's blood, and all he sees is pure. The heart of the believer is pure because the precious blood of Christ has cleansed the believer. But not only that, how about the future? It will, the blood of Christ, allow believers, thirdly, to prevail. I look forward to this day. Revelation 12, 10 and 11 says, and I have heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, that's Satan, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have, been, have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. We prov- Everybody says, don't read the last page. I've read the last page, and the last page of the book says, we win in Christ, he wins. We prevail. The blood of Christ. All of this so that we might walk in the light, live in the light. So, dear believer today, Are you walking in the light? Or is there something you need to get right? If you're not in the light on a regular basis, that means you probably are sinning regularly, purposely, planned. That's a a dangerous place to live. We all sin at moments where we say something that we probably shouldn't have and we walk it back. Hopefully we apologize. Or we think something or we do something that is out of alignment, but it isn't a regular practice. If that's the case, then that's just restoring fellowship. But if you've been living your life claiming to be a Christian and your life is not walking in the light, it is so far from the light, that's the point where you need to be in dread and fear of the judgment of God. And I say that lovingly. I say that filled with grace, and I call you, I call any one of us to step back, consider the sin in your life, and to ask for forgiveness. And next week, we're going to talk about the cleansing power of God in forgiveness. Do that now. But for those who have not yet surrendered their hearts to Christ, please, ask yourself, have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Ask yourself, has Jesus' blood spiritually been applied to your heart? And if it hasn't, surrender. Say what what is truth, that you are a sinner and you need Jesus. And then receive him.
So this is a powerful couple verses, isn't it? You'd think, how are we going to spend another Sunday morning in two or three verses? I thought the same thing, but it was easy. Could have said more. I pray that this week you will be more mindful of being um, image bearers and reflecting the light of God, the light of Christ in your life through kind words, gracious acts, forgiving spirits. And as you do that, as we do that, God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and it is powerful. It does shed a light to our path and allows us to see where we should go, that which is pleasing to you as opposed to that which is not pleasing. And I pray that this day our little church family here will become light bearers in a new and fresh way, pleasing your heart and glorifying you. And so, Father... Will you use us in a mighty way as your light bearers? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.